John's Gospel, chapter 14. John chapter 14. Uh, just a few minutes we will give our attention to verses 25 through 31. As you're finding your place there, I want to say again, Merry Christmas. Um, we do hope this uh, is and uh, remains a tremendously worshipful season for you. Uh, I'm sure if you've like me, you have had some challenges uh, along the way. Uh, you've had some distractions. Uh, it seems as every year we set out and we are going to try to limit those. And in some ways we are successful and in other ways we're not. And I'm reminded as we get uh, older and more mature, we should be doing better with that. Uh, and hopefully uh, you are as you're trying to negotiate those things. Uh, but just uh, want to encourage you again that this season is not over uh, and want to encourage you as you continue to worship. Today is the uh, fourth Sunday of our Advent series. Uh, we have been uh, attempting to consider Advent by looking through a specific lens. And that lens is been God's love. In other words, we have looked at the things that God has said that He loves, the things that He has pointed to that He loves, and we have said Advent is a response to that. In other words, all of those things that we have seen so far are things that were only accomplished in the Incarnation, only accomplished in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you'll recall, when we looked at the first week, we said that Advent was God's loving response to His Son. That He loved His Son more than anything. He wanted to give His Son everything. And by His providence and by His plan, um, that was determined uh, in the Godhead, uh, the way that that would be accomplished would be through the sending of His Son. And in that sending would require uh, His Son's death. And for a lot of us, it doesn't make sense. Could God have given Him everything otherwise? We would have to say absolutely not uh, because God loved His Son and He wanted Him to have everything. And in giving Him everything, uh, it was that He had to come and that He had to die. The second week, uh, we had an opportunity to look and say that Advent is God's loving response to His Word. We looked at what the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the church at Corinth. He said that everything is yes and amen. Every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ. God loved His Word. And the advent, the incarnation, the coming of Christ secured every promise and fulfilled and will fulfill every promise. And then last week we had an opportunity to give consideration to God's love of justice. We looked at what the psalmist had to say. The psalmist said that God loves justice. And then we were able to go to Romans and hear again that God gave His Son, put Him up as a propitiation, the satisfaction of His own wrath, so that justice would be served. That God could be the just and the justifier. And here we are today, on Christmas Day, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we want to give our attention to something else that God loves. He loves peace. And we want to look and see how the Advent, how the coming of Christ, the incarnation, serves the purpose of God's love uh, for peace. I invited you to turn to Romans chapter 
uh, excuse me, John chapter 12, but uh, 14. But before we get there, uh, we might find it a little bit uh, difficult or, or maybe find it a little bit odd that we would go that deep into Christ's life before we even began to talk about peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, uh, we hear, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, God loves peace, will accomplish that by sending one who is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah foretold that. Israel looked forward to that. And then from the psalmist in Psalm chapter 29 and verse 11, we hear, May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. And then if we back back up again and look at numbers, we hear these words uh, in this great blessing, still pointing toward Christ, pointing to what God will do through this particular one. We hear, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Throughout the Old Testament, we continue to hear the promise of peace over and over again. And it is always associated with the future work of God. The redemptive work of God that was tied to and would be tied to this promised one. And then what do we hear when we hear of the birth announcement in Luke's Gospel? When the angels come and announce that Christ has been born. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is well pleased. Not peace for everyone, but peace with those whom He is pleased. And we'll come to discover what He means there. But the point is, is that at every turn we hear about peace. We know that peace was at the heart of the message of Jesus. In fact, Peter recalls that as he began to preach to Cornelius' family in the 10th chapter of Acts, we hear these words. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right and is acceptable to Him, as for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism. And John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. And we're witnesses of all that He did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put Him to death by hanging Him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, uh, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God, the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness, and everyone who believes in him 
receives forgiveness of sin through His name. But we come to this text. This text in John. Because it's here where Jesus promises to those who follow Him will receive His peace. John chapter 14, verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I'll come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. We join me as we pray. Father, we're reminded today that we live in a world of turmoil. Some of us can even acknowledge that even as believers, our lives at times are in turmoil. Father, we know we live in a world of war. Father, we live in a world where people are bombing and killing and shooting and stealing and seeking ways to harm masses and seeking ways to harm individuals. People are being sold and destroyed. Property is being destroyed. People are being targeted because of their skin color and because of their religions. And Father, as we look around, we admit that it is not a peaceful time in our land. And it's not a peaceful time in our lives. And yet, Father, we come here today, Your day, the Lord's day, the day that we gather in worship. This special day, the day that we come and we celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior and Your Son. And we come here today, God, knowing that He would bring peace. Knowing that You love peace. Knowing that in You there's no confusion. Knowing, Father, that as we love You and as we are close with Him, that we will experience peace. We ask You today, Father, that for those of us who are here, who are not at peace with You, who have not yet trusted You, Father, would You call out to the heart today and draw those hearts to You. 
grant that they would be able to experience your peace and know your peace and be at peace with you. And then, Father, for those of us who are here today who claim you and profess you and, and know that we are yours and yet who are in, in turmoil in heart and in mind and are struggling, God, we cry out to you today. That what we come to know of your peace objectively would fortify and strengthen what we subjectively experience and what we hold to. Help us today to understand some of these things from your word as we look to you and to your son the Prince of Peace. Help us, O oh God, we pray. Amen. One of the first parts of our argument each week has been, what is it that God loves? And how do we know that He loves it? We looked at God loved His Son, and He loves His Word, and He loves justice, but how do we know that God loves peace? I think one of the ways that we can know that God loves peace is to look at it throughout the course of Scripture, the repeated statements that God is peace. Because if God loves His Son, He loves Himself, and we know that, and all that He has done, and all that He does, He does for His glory, and there's no one greater than love, so if there is a particular attribute, if there's a characteristic of God, if there's something that He is and He's about, then He's going to love it. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 33, we hear, May the God of peace be with you all. In Romans 16, 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. We hear these words, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We hear repeatedly that He is a God of peace. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that all of those things, as it applies to our sanctification and our growth in Him, are connected with the fact that He is a God of peace. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, all of this is driven because God loves peace. And we mention this because He does love peace. And the Scriptures tell us, for God is not a God of confusion, but He is a God of peace. The question is, is what kind of peace are we talking about? be a reasonable question to ask. When we talk about peace, are we talking about the absence of war? Are we talking about the absence of confusion? Are we talking about the absence of conflict? 
Or are we talking about some inward feeling of satisfaction? Some, some sense of contentment? Some sense of tranquility? Just, just some sense of wholeness? Well, I, I think we are probably talking about all those things. Because if there is war, then those things that, are, that would be associated with that would be disturbing us and should and could even could even cause us to be anxious about things. Much in the same way that we have seen throughout the course of our country and even here in our own community. Disturbance among people because of political situations and because of the economy and because of other things that take place. Ashley even mentioned her, her dad being in the hospital. I can imagine that Ray is experiencing some kind of conflict and turmoil as he is thinking about his life and as he is thinking ahead after having undergone heart surgery. All of these things began to work in us, all of these circumstances in life, and it has some bearing upon our inward peace. But when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to understand what He is saying when He says He is going to give us peace and that He has given us peace, it all plays out and makes this connection at this point. I want you to look at verse 31. We read it a moment ago. Actually, back up in verse 30. Jesus said, I'll no longer talk much with you. Why? For the ruler of this world is coming. Now you would think, okay, that's the reason he's not going to talk. Because the ruler of this world is coming. He's talking about Satan. But he says, he has no claim on me. He has no claim on me. And why does he not have any claim on him? Because he said, I do as the Father has commanded me. He has no claim on me because I have been obedient. He has no claim on me because He can't accuse me. He has no claim on me. He has no grip on me. He can't hold me in the, in, in the vortex of guilt. He can't do that because He has no claim on me because I have sought to do what the Father has commanded me to do. And then He says, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus is foundationally helping us understand where peace originates and it originates as we are guiltless, as we are righteous before the Father. Now we all know that we're not guiltless. We know that. But for those who have trusted Christ, you are righteous because of the imputed righteousness on you. That's the reason why Paul, whenever he was writing to church at Corinth, said that uh, he who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. In other words, whenever he's writing to the church at Rome and he is telling them uh, who is going to uh, bring a charge against you. There's no one who can bring a charge against those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the charge would be that you're not righteous and that is not true because Christ's righteousness has been placed on you. 
That's John's argument here. That's what Jesus even here is trying to communicate. He has no claim on me, and rightfully so, because Jesus had never sinned. And in that, He stands there before the Father, having done what the Father has commanded Him to do, loving the glory of God. And He says He has no claim. And He says, and I am leaving you with the peace that is associated with that. Something for us to consider. Our peace is grounded in doing the will of God. I know in my own life, I struggle the most when I am sinning, disobeying God, working against God's purposes, and the heavy conviction comes upon me from the Holy Spirit, but then what lingers after I have confessed and repented, what lingers is the reality of knowing that I have sinned and now I am being accused. Satan accuses me and it is during those times, during those times, that my heart is burdened in struggle and I am absent of peace. I don't know if you've experienced that. I hope as a believer you have, not that I want you wrongly accused, not that I want you to be in a situation to where you do not resist that temptation because Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good, healthy thing. The lingering accusations that beat you down and cause you to feel as though God cannot or has not forgiven you or has held you at bay and disturbed you on the inside are not good things. And Jesus has objectively dealt with that. We know that is true. We read it this morning in Colossians. He did what? He brought about peace by the blood of the cross. He brought about peace by the blood of the cross. He made it possible for us to be at peace with God. And in being at peace with God, no longer under condemnation. Well, what does that mean for the unbeliever? Well, it means for the unbeliever that you stand condemned. We sang earlier, in my place condemned he stood. That's for the believer. But if you haven't trusted Christ, if you haven't trusted Christ yet, you stand condemned. You stand under the wrath of God. It is upon you. And in that you would know no peace. Jesus is saying that our peace is grounded in seeking to do the will of God. Look at the second thing that he says. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. It is a peace that is given by Christ, and it is His peace. So we know inasmuch as it is His peace, it is a divine peace. It is a supernatural peace. The reason we know that is because he compares it to another kind of peace. He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. In other words, whatever element of peace 
that we might get from the world, which will always be built around optimum circumstances. Always around optimum circumstances. So when you feel really good because everything around you seems good, things that the world has placed around you, securities that you have gained from the world, don't be confused. Don't begin to think that that is the supernatural peace that Christ is talking about. Because it's not. It's not. The world can give some degree of peace in that way. A relationship can give some degree of peace in that way. But it's momentary. It's not eternal. It's not lasting. It's not divine. It will not carry you all the way to the end. Notice how Jesus is coming. He's coming here in a moment when He is getting ready to leave. And He is leaving them in a sense. He's leaving them until He returns again. The Holy Spirit will be sent. And He says, He has told them in Matthew that He would not leave them, that He would be with them to the end of the age. But His physical presence and what they know of Him in just a few hours will be no more. In just a few days after the resurrection has taken place and after the ascension has taken place, they will not see Him again until He returns. This may sound kind of morbid. I don't know how many of you have thought about all the saints who are in their graves. Have you ever stopped and given any attention? We talk about Paul as if he is still, still about. Well, he's not. He, he passed away. Okay? Passed away. Buried somewhere. John's buried somewhere. Peter's buried somewhere. Martin Luther is buried somewhere. John Calvin is buried somewhere. Your grandparents that shared the gospel with your parents, they are buried somewhere and they are awaiting the Lord's return. That's when they will see Him again. My point is, is that the peace that Jesus is talking about is a peace that will last and get us all the way to the end. It is a divine supernatural work. Notice the third thing this text points us to. We've said it. It's not, a, it's not a peace that the world can give. So it is not tied to optimum circumstances. What was ahead for His disciples when He was speaking with them? Well, certainly dealing with His death, persecution was going to come. Sacrifices were going to have to be made. Life was not going to be easy. In fact, it was going to be less than easy. It was going to be extremely difficult. So optimum circumstances were out of the picture. And yet he says, I've given you peace. And notice the fourth thing is, it is a secure peace because Satan had no claim on Jesus, and we have already pointed to, he has no claim on the believer. Peace with God. 
the most basic need of every man and woman. And the only way that peace with God can be known is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and His atoning work. But maybe today our struggle is not peace with God, so to speak. Maybe we trust Him. What about peace with yourself? What about the inward tranquility within your own life? Has there ever been a time where that's been absent? Maybe is this a season where that is absent for you now? And what about your peace with others? I'm saying this with a conviction on me. Am I at peace with Janice? Hadn't seemed so the last few days. How about you? Are you at peace with your spouse? Or are you at peace with your parents? Are you at peace with your brothers and sisters? How about your neighbors? How about your church family? Because our relationship righted with God is foundational to all of those. But we will never claim an absolute peace with God when we have turmoil with other people. And Jesus is pushing, telling them that He is granting them, giving them peace. And it is peace that is objective. Objective in the sense that it is going to be built upon His continued obedience all the way to the cross. That's how peace is made. In the objective work of Christ. In His objective Word to us. It's the reason Isaiah said that he would be the Prince of Peace. The reason why the angels proclaimed that there would peace come, not on everyone, but peace would come to those whom God's favor was upon, meaning whom God had called to salvation, meaning the one who would trust in this one Savior. There's a lot more that could be said about peace. I was thinking this morning whenever I was up about the peace and the hope that comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Reminded again of the world that we share. And these words came to my heart and I began to jot them down. The world in anguish lays today torn, battered, and in dismay. But oh, the great hope we celebrate for the one who has come to save. Promised 10,000 years ago, the world laid in wait and hope. Some forgotten, some having given up. But in providence time, He showed up this one, the blessed hope. He came to save, to restore, to redeem a world, a kingdom, a people. 
all ordained before the world began for the glory of the Lord, one God, three people. Each person of our great God, equal in all things, carried out each detail to ensure this great hope came. The Father sent His Son from heaven's throne to earth. The Holy Spirit placed the seed that resulted in His birth. The Son submitted to the plan and came in humility, giving up His glory in heaven to save humanity. The hope remains true today. It's not just a story or just some cliche. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. God's great glory on display. He pronounced His hope when He says, Believe, come, trust, and follow Me. For faith in Me, your only hope, will save you and set you free. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice today in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. We long for our hearts and minds and souls to be at constant peace and in rest with You. Trusting in You no matter what we are dealing with in life. Father, we long for those who have not trusted You to come to be at peace with You rather than being at odds and an enemy. We cry out to You today to call and speak within their hearts even now. And if it means God causing them to see a heightened sense of turmoil within their own spirit that they would long for peace with You. Father, bring it about according to Your will. But help us, O oh God, those who, who call You Father, help us, Father, to live at peace and peaceably in this world so that we can reflect what it means to love You. As Christ said, that His obedience to You would show the world that He loved You. Help us in this, O oh God. Thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.